Welcome to the Tikva Podcast. I'm your host, Russell Aspinwall. And uh, before we get started with today's podcast, just want to make sure that you hit that follow button or subscribe button, depending on what platform you are listening on, watching on, whatever. Uh, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you like what you hear today, I would really appreciate it if you would just head over to the show page, scroll all the way to the bottom, leave your uh, five-star rating and review for me there. Um, and if you don't like what you hear today, you, you probably have an aneurysm every time you read the Bible. So that's a joke kind of now now that all that is out of the way right i just want to start off by saying thank you for tuning in and uh let's get straight to it how's it going guys welcome to the tikva podcast uh this is a special episode uh, in in a hopeful series of episodes that we're going to do called the, the Tikva Critique. Today we're going to be evaluating uh, a critique that was made to me by Jonah, uh, and and I'll explain it a little bit. Um, this video is going to be different from my other videos in that the primary purpose is a systematic response to a video on social media made by a man named Jonah that brought up some critiques to what I was saying. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can send me a message. I can point you in the right direction of the videos on TikTok. It's, it's actually a great precursor to what we're talking about today. And I want to begin by saying that this, this is an exchange of ideas in pursuit of a common truth. And uh, in this response, I'm going to use jargon that's consistent with the nature of the conversation, as does he. So uh, don't think that the language and words used are merely for the purpose of occupying either fallacy, the proof of intimidation, or the appeal to authority. Um, it's just simply to streamline and clarify the claims and context of the conversation. So don't hate to play it. Hate the game. Um, the Internet can easily devolve well-intentioned debates into arbitrary arguments uh, simply because of two things. One... Uh, people have self-serving intentions and and seek validation uh, from others on it, creating a series of just ad hominem fallacies. And, and two, sensorial convergence is low on the internet, and therefore context for conversations is often constricted in favor of minimal effort that will produce a reward that isn't consistent with that effort, thus creating a giant ad, ad populum fallacy. So um, goals to eliminate these two things uh, today are uh, one, humanize Jonah maximally and empathize with his lived experiences, definitely uh, and definitively separate his arguments and claims from his character. And uh, three, increase the strength of his overall arguments in an intellectually honest way in order to thoroughly dismantle the entire ideological framework he holds. In other words, I'm not here to tear him down. Uh, I'm not just here to tear down his claims. I'm here to systematically dismantle the whole system and destroy the entire foundation so that anyone who watches this video espousing those ideas has no further space to propagate them or stand on them. In order to perpetuate intellectual integrity and accountability for my claims, I'll be providing a word-for-word -word transcript of this entire video. I'll make the PDF available on all my social media profiles. Uh, and if you can't access it, uh, you can just send me a message and I will send it to you directly. Uh, now that all that is out of the way, uh, this, is, this is really the scripture that hit me. Uh, when thinking about the situation. So 1 Peter 3, uh, it's verse 15, uh, says, but set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope you possess or the purpose that we have, because those things are synonymous. But we, we often miss verse 16 when it says, yet do it with courtesy and respect, keeping a good conscience so that those who slander your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame when they accuse you. I took some time to think about whether a response would be self-serving 
in that it would be used uh, for validation of my pride. And uh, when when going through it after uh, after Jonah initially came out with the video, I realized um, that to an extent it would. And and I and I really had to reevaluate my intentions in it and pray about it. I, I talked to some friends. I looked deeply into Jonah's content and experiences. And in that, um, I was trying to do my absolute best to increase the construct validity of his arguments by incorporating his previously unknown to me presuppositions in regards to his epistemological foundations, so that um, so that I can so that I can really resonate with what what he what he's saying and what he's thinking and where he's at because people people aren't just the ideas. Uh, that they there, there's there's often uh, things that create these ideas and in individuals they don't just arbitrarily follow these things, um, so often oftentimes when we're when we're looking at an individual, um, it can be very easy for for a lot of us just to like tear them apart, um, but like there needs to be empathy when we when we look at this individual, um, and and I'm and I'm talking to Jonah I'm sure you're watching this too Jonah, uh, so I want you to know that I'm not just here to tear you apart I really want to empathize with what you say um, because you have lived experiences that have brought you to this place, um, so that being said, here's here's the breakdown of the video. Are you just an embodied conscience that chases after a temporary manufactured purpose? Yes, and so are you. I'm guessing that you're assuming that because I reference the unbeliever as an individual other than myself at the beginning of the video, I associate with the affirmative position. In this case, you would be correct. I am a believer in Christ and associate as a Christian. Uh, by answering my question posed to unbelievers with an affirmation, it leads me to the conclusion that you, Jonah, are an unbeliever, which is verified going forward in the video and is consistent with your profession and other content you've put out. So uh, your admittance of being an embodied conscience chasing after a temporary manufactured purpose is followed by an assertion that I am included in that as well. Your assertion is partly true in that I am an embodied conscience ontologically, but it's partly untrue in that you categorize me as an individual chasing after a temporary manufactured purpose. And that's where our first divergence is. You go on to say, Dude, the difference between you and me is not that you have the default objective purpose of life and I'm lacking it. Again, a divergence in the context of the video, I am saying that uh, with both a confessional and genuine belief that the Christian God exists, you are given an objective purpose. By the standard of objectivity, this means that those that don't confess and genuinely believe that Jesus Christ is Lord cannot be given an objective purpose. I use the word given as opposed to have or found because I want to emphasize that because purpose and value are non-material metaphysical concepts, they cannot be empirically derived from a materialistic framework. In other words, science cannot answer questions of meaning, value, or purpose, uh, and it's it's not wrong to say something or someone possesses or has found purpose, but I just like to emphasize that it cannot be derived from myself, yourself, or the material world around us. Uh, at its core, purpose is something that is given. Okay. Secondly, any assumption that I'm wrong must have a foundational premise in a moral framework, which is for a professing agnostic cannot objectively be asserted on any individual. You you could say that your moral framework is dependent upon values derived from other individuals in a subjective relational context. But if one's values are true enough to assert, like truly true, uh, they have to have validity. And doing so, that would be an attempt to validate value with empirical materialistic framework. But it becomes incoherent when we realize that value is a metaphysical construct that can't be derived, found, or created in any methodology that is inherently dependent upon the physical world around us. Um, but many Christians fall to this uh, same fallacy as well when they assume anything that they do in terms of their obedience uh, rules, laws, etc., are, are are things that give them value, um, purpose, or or security. Um, then you go on to say, 
It is that, by default, no humans have purpose. Naturalistic fallacy. And you have found one in God, and I just haven't found mine yet. At this point, a lot of people may jump on what you're saying and mention that it is self-defeating. You claim no humans have purpose, but then uh, you're saying, I have found purpose in God, and you're still searching. Uh, this would be a great low-hanging fruit, uh, especially for the internet to pick, if I wanted to interpret this in isolation. But your social media content shows me that even though you may not be using ideal language to describe it, I think you're saying that no humans have objective purpose. You believe purpose is not ubiquitous across material existence and therefore uh, assume that both your purpose and mine can differ. However, if you're saying our purpose can be subjective, it is to violate the very definition of purpose. Purpose is a reason an object exists. And, and to clarify that, uh, when I say object, it's a metaphysical conceptualization of a material thing, which includes people. So purpose is the reason an object exists. This takes reasoning. Uh, empirical proofs, the scientific method, this is what we're thinking. Science seeks to elucidate objective truths. That's all that it does. It seeks truth. So the purpose of reasoning a thing is to arrive at a definite objective conclusion. So to assume that when we attempt to reason our existence, we can arrive at an indefinite subjective conclusion is to violate the law of non-contradiction. The purpose of reasoning itself would fall apart if it didn't yield objective answers. So I, I, Jonah, I think I think that you know this, and I've, at your core, you know this, and and this is I think this is a big place where you where I saw you struggling in your and you've got a genuine search for it, uh, and I was watching you grapple with it, um, but this is the very reason that there's a fact value distinction, um, and that that distinction is a foundational uh, epistemological idea in philosophy. Um, anyway, but just because you were able to accurately describe my current feeling of existence doesn't mean that God exists. This is a straw man fallacy combined with a bare assertion fallacy because you're conflating my deconstruction of an unbeliever's purposeless life with an apologetic argument. In Tikva's social media content, the existence of God is a nomological idea, um, but it's not just an arbitrary presupposition either. I'll gladly make an apologetic argument for the existence of God, but it's it's not what I was doing here. Um, so. What, I, what I'm now deriving from what's left is that I accurately described your current feelings of existence. Okay. This rhetoric is only going to solidify belief in those that already believe. The assertion that my rhetoric will exclusively solidify belief in those that already believe means that you're claiming to represent unbelievers as a whole, which would be a fallacy of composition. However, the problem with you representing unbelievers to the extent that it would make the claim fallacious is that the group you're claiming to represent isn't actually a group. Unbeliever uh, is a word used to describe the absence of group affiliation, specifically within the Christian religious con con connotation. Okay, So uh, even the reliance upon the fallacy itself is fallacious. If we wanted to talk about disbelievers, then there might be more room to associate on the basis of common ideologies, but it would still fall to the fallacy of composition. You go on. But this video spectacularly failed. Red herring fallacy, use of pejorative language. To actually identify with the sentiments and thought processes of the unbeliever. Okay, I like this one. Uh, if you're intellectually honest and are agnostic, not just in profession, but in your epistemology, then I think that my actualizations of the sentiments and thought processes of the unbeliever are actually fairly consistent with the renowned unbeliever, Frederick Nietzsche. You ready? Quote, God is dead. God remains dead. And we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves? The murderers of murderers. What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has has owned has bled to death under our knives who will wipe this blood off us what water there what water is there for us to clean what festivals of atonement what sacred games shall we have to invent is not the greatness of this deed too great for us must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it
when Nietzsche said God is dead, it was meant to be the most terrifying words that could ever come out of the mouth of any human being. Identifying with agnosticism will never be triumphant and it will never be joyous. The unknown is the very premise of fear itself. That is the summation of the sentiments and thought process of a genuine unbeliever. So if anything, I thought I was going pretty light there. You're belittling ad hominem fallacy. You're talking down ad hominem fallacy. You're pretending that you're on a high horse ad hominem fallacy. And that you have information that unbelievers don't know about. By saying that I'm having or pretending to have information that unbelievers don't know about is a bare assertion fallacy. Again, I did not present any claims or pretend to present any claims. I was deconstructing the idea that unbelievers had an objective purpose. I would also like to add that in the context of the clip uh, within the full Tikva podcast, I'm actually presenting information that pertains to the solution of value depravity. So I'm not hiding it. Uh, the solution is the gospel that Jesus Christ died for, for you. And that by putting your faith in him, you can have purpose and value. Um, and, and, and I, I guess it's less about information that I possess or have that I've found. Um, but it's more like, it's more like something that I realized and was given to me. I know that may seem like an, uh, like unnecessarily nuanced, uh, but I think it's important anyway. Um, you say, I know about it. Bare assertion fallacy, buddy, red herring fallacy, use of pejorative language. I was actively in the church for 23 years. Association fallacy. I know about all of it. I just don't believe it anymore. When you're referring to the church that you were in, I believe you're referring to the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, which is categorically defined by Orthodox Christianity as a cult. Um, Walter Martin has done some great theological work on that if you want to check it out. Anyway, um, it's an association fallacy because you associate uh, because your association is with the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints and the disparities between Orthodox Christianity uh, and that are nothing short of substantive. So with that in mind, what I, th what I think that you're referencing when you're saying you, you know about it is from when you previously asserted that I have or am pretending to have information that unbelievers don't know about. So you're saying that you know about all the information that you claim that I have that unbelievers don't. I, I think I got it. And I think, I think the spirit of what you're saying is less about the actual information and more about the way that you felt hearing me accurately describe the depravity of your deconstruction into agnosticism. And I think by identifying that, it's, it's, it's going to be a great transition for us um, to move from the philosophical breakdown of your claims into a more in-depth psychological evaluation uh, and with, some, with some theology sprinkled in there. Uh, not, necessarily, not necessarily of you. It's not an evaluation of you because um, in my field, that would, that would be considered unethical. And I don't really think it's appropriate or considerate to psychoanalyze an individual publicly or on the internet. Um, but, but a true epistemology that is derived from agnosticism well, it's not really epistemology. It's a lack of epistemology. The right from agnosticism has uh, social and psychological ramifications that go far beyond what anyone can even imagine. So uh, let's start at the very end of your video. I know about all of it. I just don't believe it anymore. Let me remind you again, I made no claims in the video. It was just a deconstruction. Uh, but bare assertion fallacies uh, such as these are used a lot as as a means of cognitive distortion in unbelievers, more specifically disbelievers. That is um, that is an intentional disbelief in the Christian faith, typically from defectors. I think uh, I think that you had a ne negative experience in the LDS church, and, and I feel that. Uh, I don't know your story in totality, so I'm I'm going to try cr try to talk very generally. Um, I've had friends come out with with horror stories of leadership abuse, psychological manipulation, and totally being cut off from every person they loved and cared about. Uh, it's a cult. I'm going to say it again. The LDS church is a cult. It is a cult based 
on conditional love, which is an ideology that is detrimental to the most fundamental core of what we need psychosocially as people. Unconditional love. It's the very essence of what family is supposed to be. And it is the very essence of what God is. It's important that when we experience these deep traumas associated with spiritual abuse that cause the deconstruction of our realities, that we confront them honestly within ourselves. It's important that we allow our emotions that accompany religious hurt uh, to follow our logical deconstruction, not follow them into our logical deconstruction. Because the depravity that comes from interpersonal exclusion within a family or church community can often be projected onto God and others because if everything and everybody that was real to us and, and, and real to you left or excluded you after leaving, what other experiences or knowledge do you have that informs you that reality going forward isn't going to be like that? Um, so I've been there. I really have. I've been there. Uh, but I'll use your words. I know all about it. I just don't believe it anymore. You and a psychopath both claim that there is no intrinsic value in humanity. The only difference is they actually believe it and you don't. Because when asked how value is derived via object relations, the answer for you is going to be self-actualizing and baseless as a non-sociopath uh, or psychopath. But, but, the, but the psychopath only finds value in what others give to them. In essence, uh, this is the principle of hedonism how others make me feel what others can do for me because there's no logical reason that we should care for anyone but ourselves. So uh, empathy in and of itself is then dependent upon objective value. Uh, so if you, if you have that, it means that your logical profession of agnosticism as a reality and your cognitive actualizations of reality face a stark dissonance. Okay. Hedonism is the best option for an agnostic because the only thing that can distract you from crippling fear cannot be found within. It has to be manufactured happiness. It has to be pleasure. The only thing that can bring a human being lasting or substantive comfort is either total ignorance or total faith in someone that knows the unknown. Your admittance of agnosticism is also your, your realization that nothing can be known. And to truly live as if nothing can be known is to exist in pure, unadulterated fear of all things. Consciousness and memory retention means that we have the ability to know, retain, and critically act on information. All fear is, is what is not known. This is why familiarity is comforting. This is why we surround ourselves with loved ones when we're passing. Even pain, the purpose of pain receptors in our body is to indicate a threat to our life. Even your unconscious biological systems feed off the fear of death. And we only fear death because it is the greatest unknown. So true agnosticism is the lack of an epistemology. There, there is no theory of knowledge. There is no way of knowing. So there's no difference between really being dead or alive because nothing can be known before or after death if you're agnostic. So what are you using to differentiate between life and death? If there's no reason that we exist because nothing can be known, how can you say that you actually exist? But we do exist and you can't deny it. And I think that's the greatest argument for the existence of God. If you wanted one, if there's no reason for something to exist, it cannot exist. So this is me reaching out to you, Jonah. 
If you're honest, you really only have two options. Inundate yourself with meaningless pleasures in order to avoid the existential dread of an illogical agnosticism. Or pursue Christ. He truly lived. He truly died. He truly came back to life in order to give us life and purpose. Uh, believe in him. Uh, and if you need a little bit more than that, you can always send me a message.